Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811. There's a ton to cover tonight. I don't think I'll be able to cover it all. This is the program where we need 10 hours. But we don't have 10 hours. In fact, I don't have 10 hours all week. Because I have to leave here uh, Wednesday. But that's beside the point. My wife and I had dinner with a with friends of ours and my mother-in-law, and uh, they mentioned a little book to us by James Clavell that was written in the 1960s called The Children's Story. Now, he also wrote a book you may have heard of called Shogun, among others. It's really a pamphlet. It's really a pamphlet. And he says, for all children everywhere, but not just for children. I want to read this to you. The teacher was afraid, and the children were afraid, all except Johnny. Johnny watched the classroom door with hate. He felt the hatred deep within his stomach. It gave him strength. It was two minutes to nine. The teacher glanced numbly from the door and stared at the flag which stood in the corner of the room. But she couldn't see the flag today. She was blinded by her terror, not only for herself, but mostly for them, her children. She'd never had children of her own. She had never married. In the midst of her mind, she saw the rows upon rows of children she had taught through the years. Their faces were legion. But she could distinguish no one particular face. Only the same face, which varied but slightly. Always the same age, or thereabouts, seven. Perhaps a boy, perhaps a girl. 
and the face always open and ready for knowledge that she was to give. The same face staring at her, open, waiting, and full of trust. The children rustled, watching her, wondering what possessed her. They saw not the gray hair and the old eyes and the lined face and the well-worn clothes. They saw only their teacher and the twisting of her hands. Johnny looked away from the door and watched with the other children. He didn't understand anything except that the teacher was afraid. Bear with me, folks. I'm sorry. Let's see here. The teacher was afraid. She was making them all worse. And she wanted to shout that there was no need to be fearful. Just because they've conquered us, there's no need for panic, Dad had said to Johnny. Don't be afraid, Johnny. If you fear too much, you'll be dead even though you're alive. The sound of footsteps approached and then stopped. The door opened. The children gasped. They'd expected an ogre, a giant, or beast, or witch, or monster, like the outer space monsters you think about when the lights are out, and Mom and Dad are, have kissed you goodnight, and you're frightened, and you put your head under the cover, and all at once you're awake, and it's time for school. But instead of a monster, a beautiful young girl stood in the do- doorway. Her clothes were neat and clean, all olive green, even her shoes. But most important, she wore a lovely smile. When she spoke, she spoke without the trace of an accent. The children found this very strange, for they were foreigners from a strange country far across the sea. They had all been told about them. Good morning, children. I'm your teacher, the new teacher said. Then she closed the door softly and walked to the teacher's desk. And the children in the front row felt and smelled the perfume of her clean and fresh and young. And as she passed, Sandra, who sat at the end of the first row, said, Good morning, Sandra. And Sandra flushed deeply and wondered aghast with all the other children. How did she know my name? And her heart raced in her chest and made it feel tight and very heavy. The teacher got up shakily. I, uh, I, good morning. Her words were faltering. She, too, was trying to get over the shock and nausea. Hello, Ms. Warden, the new teacher said. I'm taking your class over now. You are to go to the principal's office. Why, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my children? The words gushed from Ms. Warden, and a lank piece of hair fell into her eyes. The children were agonized by the cut to her voice, and one or two of them fell on the edge of tears. He just wants to talk to you, Ms. Warden, the new teacher said gently. You really must take better care of yourself. You shouldn't be so upset. Ms. Warden saw the new teacher's smile, but she wasn't touched by its compassion. She tried to stop her knees from shaking. Goodbye, children, she said. The children made no reply. They were too terrified by the sound of her voice and the tears that wet her face. Because she was crying, some of the children cried. And Sandra fled to her. Well, the new teacher shut the door behind Ms. Warden and turned back into the room, cradling Sandra in her arms. Children, children, there's no need to cry, she said. I know, I'll sing you a song. Listen. She sat down on the floor as gracefully as an angel, Sandra in her arms, and she began to sing. And the children stopped crying because Ms. Warden never, never sang to them and certainly never sat on the floor 
which is the best place to sit, as everyone in the class knew. But they listened spellbound to the happy lit of the new teacher's voice and to the strange words of a strange tongue, which soared and dipped like the sea of grass that was the birthplace of the song. It was a child's song, and it soothed them. And after she had sung the first chorus, the new teacher told them the story of the song. It was about two children who had lost their way and were all alone in the great grass prairies and were afraid. But they met a fine man riding a fine horse, and the man told them that there was never a need to be afraid, for all they had to do was to watch the stars, and the stars would tell them where their home was. For once you know the right direction, then there's never a need to be afraid. Fear is something that comes from inside, from inside your tummies, the new teacher said radiantly. And good, strong children like you have to put food in your tummies, not fear. The children thought about this, and it seemed very sensible. The new teacher sang the song again, and soon all the children were happy and calm once more, except Johnny. He hated her, even though he knew she was right about fear. Now, said the teacher, what shall we do? I know, we'll play a game. I'll try and guess your names. The children, wide-eyed, shifted in their seats. Miss Warden never did this, and often she called a child by another's name. The new teacher will never know all our names, never, they thought, so they waited excitedly while the new teacher turned her attention to Sandra. Oh, yes, somehow she already knew Sandra's name, but how could she possibly know everyone's? They waited, glad that they were going to catch catch out the new teacher. But they were not to catch her out. The new teacher remembered every single name. Johnny put up his hand. How'd you know our names? I mean... Well, we haven't had a roll call or anything, so how do you know our names? That's easy, Johnny, the new teacher said. You all sit in the same places every day. Each desk has one pupil, so I learned your names from a list. I had to work for three whole days to remember your names. A teacher must work very hard to be a good teacher, and so I worked for three days so that I could know each of you the first day. That's very important, don't you think, for a teacher to work hard? Johnny frowned and half nodded and sat down and wondered why he hadn't figured that out for himself before asking, astonished that she would have worked three days just to know everyone the first day. But Johnny still hated her. Johnny, would you tell me something, please? How do you start school? I mean, what do you do to begin with? Johnny stood reluctantly. We first pledge allegiance, and then we sing the song. Yes. But that's all after roll call, Sandra said. You forgot roll call. Yes, you forgot roll call, Johnny, Mary said. First we have roll call, Johnny said. Then he sat down. The new teacher smiled. All right, but we really don't need roll call. I know all your names, and I know everyone's here. It's very lazy for a teacher not to know who's here and who isn't, don't you think? After all, teachers should know. So we don't need roll call while I'm your teacher. So we should pledge. Isn't that next? Obediently, all the children got up and put their hands on their hearts, and the new teacher did the same, and they began in unison, I pledge allegiance to the flag. Just a moment, the teacher said. What does pledge mean? The children stood open-mouthed. Ms. Warden had never interrupted them before. They stood and stared at the new teacher, wordless and silent. What does allegiance mean, the new teacher asked, her hand over her heart. The children stood in silence. Then Mary put up her hand. Well, pledge is, uh, well, something like sort of when you want to do something very good. You sort of pledge you're going to do something, like not suck your thumb, because that makes your teeth bend, and you'll have to wear a brace and go to the dentist, which hurts. That's very good, Mary, very, very good. The pledge means to promise. And allegiance? Mary shrugged helplessly, looked at her best friend Hilda, who looked back at her and then at the teacher and shrugged helplessly.
The new teacher waited, and the silence hung in the room, hurting. Then she said, I think it's quite wrong for you to have to say something with long words in it that you don't understand what you're saying. So the children sat down and waited expectantly. What did your other teacher tell you that it meant? After a long silence, Danny put up his hand. She never said nothing, miss. One of my teachers at the other school I went to before this one, Jones said in a rush. Well, she sort of said what it all meant. At least she said something about it just before recess one day, and then the, the bell went, and afterwards we had spelling. Fanny said, Ms. Wooten, well, she never told us. We just had to learn it and then say it, that's all. Our real teacher didn't say anything at all. All the children nodded, then they waited again. Your teacher never explained to you all the children shook their heads? I don't think that was very good not to explain. You can always ask me anything. That's what a real teacher should do. Then the new teacher said, but didn't you ask your daddies and mommies? Not about the pledge. We just had to learn it, Mary said. Once I could say it, Daddy gave me a nickel for saying it. That's right, Danny said. So long as you could say it all, it was very good. But I never got a nickel. Did you ask each other what it meant? I asked Danny once, and he didn't know, and none of us know, really. It's grown-up talk, and grown-ups talk that sort of words. We just have to learn it. The other schools I went to, Hilda said, they never said anything about it. They just wanted us to learn it. They didn't ask us what it meant. We just had to say it every day before we started school. It took me weeks and weeks and weeks to say it right, Mary said. So the new teacher explained that allegiance meant, so you are promising or pledging support to the flag and saying that it's much more important than you are. How can a flag be more important than a real live person, she asked. Johnny broke the silence. But the next thing is, well, where it says, and to the republic for which it stands. That means it's like a, like a, and he searched for the word and couldn't find it. Like a well sort of sign, isn't it? Yes, the real world is the symbol, the new teacher frowned. But we don't need a sign to remind us we love our country, do we? You're all good boys and girls. Do you really need a sign to remind you? What's remind mean, Mary asked. It means to make you remember, to make you remember that you're all good boys and girls. The children thought about this and shook their heads. Johnny put up his hand. It's our flag, he said fiercely. We always pledge. Yes, the new teacher said, it is a very pretty one. She looked at it a moment and then said, I wish I could have a piece of it. If it's so important, I think we should all have a piece of it, don't you? I have a little one at home, Mary said. I could bring it in tomorrow. Thank you, Mary, dear, but I just wanted a little piece of this one because it's our own special classroom flag. Then Danny said, if we had some scissors, we could cut a little piece off. I have some scissors at home, Mary said. There's some in Ms. Warden's desk, Brian said. The new teacher found the scissors. Then they had to decide who would be allowed to cut a little piece off. The new teacher said that because today was Mary's birthday. How did she know that? Mary should be allowed to cut the piece off. Then they decided it would be very nice if they all had a piece. The flag is special, they thought. So if you have a piece, that's better than having just to look at it, because you can keep it in your pocket. So the flag was cut up by the children. They were very proud. They each had a piece. But now the flagpole was bare and useless. The children pondered what to do with it. The idea that pleased the most was to push it out of the window. They watched excitedly as the new teacher opened the window and allowed them to throw it into the playground. They shrieked with excitement as they saw it bounce on the ground and lie there. They began to love this strange new teacher. 
When they're all back in their seats, the new teacher said, well, before we start our lessons, perhaps there's some questions you want to ask me. And I can give some answers. Ask me anything you like. That's only fair, isn't it? If I ask you a question. Now, this is about halfway through. I'm going to finish the other part when we come back. It's a short segment, so I'll have to wait till after the bottom of the hour. But there is a lesson here. I want to finish it. It's, finish it. it's not long. And this is what radio is all about. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Most of you can see where this is going, but I do want to finish it. The book is The Children's Story. There's not a whole lot of them in print, but not just for children, uh, says the author James Clavell. Uh, As I said, it's quite short, but uh, as he was observing things happening in the United States and elsewhere, he became very, very concerned, as we are, including what's going on in our classrooms. It's really quite diabolical and unconscionable to take your children and grandchildren and try to mold their minds in ways that you reject and find abhorrent, and that you actually have to go to school board meetings and fight for the right to speak up and fight for the right to have some level of input into your children's upbringing while they're not in your home, as well as pay for all of it. So I hope you'll come back, we'll complete this, and then there's a lot more I want to get on to Whoopi Goldberg, Lindsey Graham, you name it. I'll be right back. My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it, and I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month, and you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send Imprimus to you for free. And Primus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. 
Start receiving your own free copy of this great Digest of Liberty. Visit LevinforHillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. LevinforHillsdale.com. He's driving the media mad. Mark Levin, call in with your outrage. 877-381-3811. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the book is The Children's Story, but not just for children. When the children were all back in their seats, the new teacher said, well, before we start our lessons, perhaps there are some questions you want me to answer. Ask me anything you like. That's only fair, isn't it? If I ask you questions, Mary said after a silence, we never get to ask our teacher any questions. You can always ask me anything. That's the fair way, the new way. Try me, she said. What's your name, Danny asked. She told them her name, and it sounded pretty. Mary put up her hand. Why do you wear those clothes? Well, it's like a sort of uniform nurses wear. Well, we think that teachers should be dressed the same. Then you always know a teacher. It's nice and light and easy to iron. Do you like the color? Oh, yes, Mary said. You've got green eyes, too. If you like children, as a very special surprise, you can all have this sort of uniform. Then you won't have to worry about what you have to wear to school every day, and you'll all be the same. The children twisted excitedly in their seats. Mary said, but it'll cost a lot, and my mama won't have to spend the money because we have to buy food, and food is expensive. Well, it sort of costs a lot of money. They will give them to you. As a present, there's no need to worry about money. Johnny said, I don't want to be dressed like that. You don't have to accept a present, Johnny. Just because the other children want to wear new clothes, you don't have to, the new teacher said. Johnny slunk back in his chair. I'm never going to wear their clothes, he said to himself. I don't care if I'm going to look different from Danny and Tom and Fred. Then Mary asked, why was our teacher crying? Well, I suppose she was just tired and needed a rest. She's going to have a long rest. She smiled at them. We think teachers should be young. I'm 19. Is the war over now, Danny asked. Yes, Danny. It's that wonderful. Now all your daddies will be home soon. Did we win or did we lose, Mary asked. We, we, that's you and I and all of us. We all won. Oh, the children sat back happily. Then Johnny's hatred burst. Where's my dad? What have he done to my dad? Where's my dad? The new teacher got up from her seat and walked the length of the room, and the children's eyes followed her, and Johnny stood, knees of jelly. She sat down on his seat and put her hands on his shoulders, and his shoulders were shaking like his knees. He's going to a school. Some grown-ups have to go to school as well, children. But they took him away, and he didn't want to go. Johnny felt the tears close, and he fought them back. The new teacher touched him gently, and he smelled the youth and cleanness of her, and it was not the smell of home, which was sour and just a little dirty. He's no different from all of you. You sometimes don't want to go to school. Well, we're grown-ups. It's the same. Just the same as children. Would you like to visit him? He has a holiday in a few days. Mama said that Dad's gone away forever. Johnny stared at her incredulously. He has a holiday. The new teacher laughed. Well, she's wrong, Johnny. After all, everyone who goes to school has holidays. That's fair, isn't it? The children shifted and rustled and watched, and Johnny said, I can see him. Of course, your daddy just has to go back to school a little. He had some strange thoughts, and he wanted other grown-ups to believe them. It's not right to want others to believe wrong thoughts, is it? 
Well, no, no, I suppose not, but my dad never thought nothing bad, he said. Well, of course, Johnny. I said wrong, not bad. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's right to show grown-ups right thoughts when they're wrong, isn't it? Well, yes, Johnny said, but what wrong thoughts did he have? Well, just some grown-up thoughts are old-fashioned. We're going to learn all about them in class. Then we can share knowledge, and I can learn from you as you will learn from me, shall we? All right, Johnny stared at her, perplexed. My dad couldn't have wrong thoughts. He just couldn't. Could he? Well, perhaps sometime, when you wanted to talk about something very important to your dad, perhaps he said, not now, Johnny, I'm busy, or we'll talk about that tomorrow. That's a bad thought, not to give you time when it's important, isn't it? Sure, but that's what all grown-ups do. My mama says that all the time, Mary said. And the other children nodded, and they wondered if all their parents should go back to school and unlearn bad thoughts. Sit down, Johnny, and we'll start learning good things and not worry about grown-ups' bad thoughts. Oh, yes, she said when she sat down in her seat again, brimming with happiness. I have a lovely surprise for you. You're all going to stay overnight with us. We have a lovely room and beds and lots of food, and we'll all tell stories and have such a lovely time. Oh, good, the children said. Can I stay up until 8 o'clock? Mary asked breathlessly. Well, it's our first new day. We'll all stay up to 8.30, but only if you promise to go right to sleep afterward. The children all promised they were very happy, Jenny said, but first we got to say our prayers before we go to sleep. The new teacher smiled at her. Well, of course. Perhaps we should say a prayer now. In some schools, that's a custom, too. She thought a moment, and the faces watched her, and then she said, Let's pray. But let's pray for something very good. What should we pray for? Bless Mama and Dada, Dan- Danny said immediately. That's a good idea, Danny. I have one. Let's pray for candy. That's a good idea, isn't it? And they all nodded happily. So following their new teacher, they all closed their eyes, and steepled their hands together, and uh, they prayed with her for candy. The new teacher opened her eyes and looked around disappointedly. But where's our candy? God is all seeing and is everywhere, and if we pray, he answers our prayers. Isn't that true? I prayed for a puppy of my own lots of times, but I never got one, Danny said. Maybe we didn't pray hard enough. Perhaps we should kneel down like it's done in church. So the teacher knelt, and all the children knelt, And they prayed very, very hard, but still no candy. Because the new teacher was disappointed, the children were very disappointed too. Then she said, perhaps we're using the wrong name. She thought a moment and then said, instead of saying God, let's say our leader. Let's pray to our leader for candy. Let's pray very hard and don't open your eyes till I say. So the children shut their eyes tightly and prayed very hard. And as they prayed, the new teacher took out some candy from her pocket and quietly put a piece on each child's desk. She did not notice Johnny, alone of all children, watching her, though, his eyes half-closed. She went softly back to her desk, and the prayer ended, and the children opened their eyes, and they stared at the candy, and they were overjoyed. I'm going to pray to our leader every time, Mary said excitedly. Me too, Hilda said. Can we eat our leader's candy now, teacher? Oh, let's please, please, please. So our leader answered your prayers, didn't he? I saw you put the candy on the desks, Johnny burst out. I saw you. I didn't close my eyes, and I saw you. You had them in your pocket. We didn't get them with praying. You put them there. All the children, appalled, stared at him. 
and then at their new teacher. She stood at the front of the class and looked back at Johnny, then at all of them. Yes, Johnny, you're quite right. You're a very, very wise boy. Children, I put the candy on your desks, so you know that it doesn't matter whom you ask, whom you shut your eyes and pray to, to God or anyone, even our leader. No one will give you anything, only another human being. She looked at Danny. God didn't give you the puppy you wanted, but if you work hard, I will. Only I, or someone like me, can give you things. Praying to God or anything or anyone for something is a total waste of time. Then we don't say prayers. We're not supposed to say prayers. The puzzled children watched her. You can if you want to, children, if your daddies and mommies want you to. But we know, you and I, that it means nothing. That's our secret. Just between us. My dad says it's wrong to have secrets from him. But he has secrets that he shares with your mommy and not with you, doesn't he? All the children nodded. Then it's not wrong for us to have a few secrets from them, is it? I like having secrets, Hilda, and me have lots of secrets, Mary said. The new teacher said, we're going to have lots of wonderful secrets, too. You can eat your candy if you want to, and because Johnny was especially clever, I think we should make him monitor for the whole week, don't you? They all nodded happily and popped the candy into their mouths and chewed gloriously. Johnny was very proud as he chewed his candy. He decided that he liked this teacher very much. Because she told the truth, because she was right about fear, because she was right about God. He'd prayed many times for many things and never got them. And even the one time he did get the skates, he knew his dad had heard him and had put them under his bed for his birthday and pretended he hadn't heard him. I always wondered why he didn't listen, and all the time he wasn't there, he thought. Nope, God never answered. Johnny sat back contentedly. Resolved to work hard and listen, and not to have wrong thoughts like his dad. The teacher waited for them to finish their candy. This was what she had been trained for, and she knew that she would teach her children well, and that they would grow up to be good citizens. She looked out the window at the sun over the land. It was a good land, and vast, and a land to breathe in. But she was warmed, not by the sun, but by the thought that throughout the school and throughout the land, all children, all men and women, were being taught with the same faith, with variations of the same procedures, each according to his age, each according to his need. And she glanced at her watch. It was 9.23. And the day went on. Now you can apply this to some of what goes on today. Critical race theory. If you don't support it, you're obviously a white supremacist. And if you're black and don't support it, you're a white supremacist too. If you're a black or Hispanic or Asian conservative, and you're nominated to a court or nominated for a position, you will be ruthlessly butchered. But if you go along, but if you go along with the big government left, You'll be heralded, celebrated. You'll be on all kinds of television shows and front pages of newspapers. You'll be on Sunday morning on CBS. Yes, you're for progress and you're for the children. If you reject the propaganda that's in our textbooks, there's obviously something wrong with you. 
if you reject the narrative about January 6th and the narrative about the riots, conversely, that took place two summers ago, then you must be part of the militia. If you believe in the borders, that the borders should be secure, you're obviously a hate-filled individual. If you voted for Trump or support President Trump, there's no redemption for you. But it's the children that need to be targeted. It's the children that need to be targeted. And rather than reinforcing the traditions and the customs, the institutions and the systems that you pass along to your children, your children must learn to think for themselves. Which means to think as they're taught in the government schools. If you're white, there's a problem because you're white. If you're black, there's a problem because you're black. We see no differences between individual human beings. We see no, no love for all human beings. If you're white, you carry a racist gene. If you're black, you carry a victim's gene. This is what's going on in this country. If you support the Constitution and its genius, which limits the power of these American Marxists and their ilk, then you obviously supported slavery and men who owned slaves. And I could go on and on and on. Maybe not to this extent, but to a great extent. It's now happening in our country. The whole woke movement, the whole cancel movement. Joe Rogan is by far the biggest podcaster in the country. Nobody even comes close to number two. So they're out to destroy him. And they're moving in that direction. Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of football. So they're out to destroy him. Destroy him over what, a virus? But it's not just the virus, ladies and gentlemen. It's all the rules and regulations, all the mandates, the police, the police powers that follow. Closing churches, closing gun stores, while the elites go maskless, on vacation, to restaurants, closing down gymnasiums, Forcing our children today, where the science says not to, to wear masks in elementary schools and middle schools. Let me be blunt about this. Let me put it in a way I don't think anybody else has said. This isn't about masks. It's never been about masks. It's about control. It's about learning to respond almost reflectively, you and me, to non-scientific demands of the government. To carry around vaccine permits. Your own children, your own children must answer to the state and not to you. This is about training us, training us, 
to accept a growing totalitarianism, a growing tyranny. The parents stood up to it, and Garland and his hacks immediately tried to put them down and threaten them. Thousands of people who went to January 6th had absolutely nothing to do with entering that building or harming anybody are shaking in their boots. They will never protest again. I'll be right back. Mark My friends, I know you love freedom and want to defend it. And I know you love the Constitution. Well, so do I. And it's the same with Hillsdale College, the best liberal arts college in America. Hillsdale's mission is pursuing truth and defending liberty. It gives its undergraduate and graduate students the best education, and it is working to make this education available to all. But today, I want to tell you about Hillsdale's free monthly speech digest of liberty. It's called Imprimus. Over 6 million households and businesses receive Imprimus for free every month. And you can join them by subscribing at levinforhillsdale.com. There are no strings attached. Generous donors who love freedom make it possible for Hillsdale to send Imprimus to you for free. Imprimus is one of my favorite publications. It's short, smart, useful, and fun. Start receiving your own free copy of this great digest of liberty. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. This is a very short uh, segment, and when we come back, I want to talk about what Whoopi Goldberg said and how this is all part of the same mass. Part of the same mass. Ma's book that was banned by school board, The Holocaust Isn't About Race. Mr. Producer, what are these Ma's books all over the place? Do you know? I know. The, the covers are grotesque. I honestly don't know what these books are about. Uh, I'm sure I'll know by tomorrow. But that's not even my focus. Will Whoopi Goldberg get the Joe Rogan treatment? Even though Joe Rogan never said a thing to harm anyone or has harmed anyone or any group of people. Will Whoopi Goldberg get the Aaron Rodgers treatment? Even though Aaron Rodgers is simply trying to live his own life as an individual red-blooded American. Well, I know the answer to that, and so do you. So what's the great offense that Whoopi Goldberg committed? In fact, what's the great offense now that the Anti-Defamation League has committed? Stick with me, folks. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. The View is one of the worst programs on television. It portrays women in a stereographic way as low IQ, hardcore lefties, 
doesn't mean to, but it does. Who don't think for themselves, group think, and a uh, pliant audience that claps like a bunch of seals. There's nothing thoughtful on the program. It's provocative. That's all it is. Those women, when they discuss history, to the extent that they do, have no idea what they're talking about. It's like sitting around a table where they're getting drunk off red wine. or I don't know. I don't know what liberal women do. But they come off very poorly, very stupidly, and very predictably. Again, they create a stereotype that I thought the women's movement was all against. Was all against. You take a look at Joy Behar if you must. She's not a self-made woman. She's a failure. She's being propped up by, by the corporatists. By the corporatists. And anybody who really gets crossways with her, Whoopi Goldberg, they remove. Or they beat them down. Like a Meghan McCain and so forth. But I want to demonstrate to you just how bad this is. And we'll use the example of what happened today. Let's listen to cut one. Go. Well, also, if you're yeah. going to do this, then let's be truthful about it, because the Holocaust isn't about race. No. No. It's well, not about maybe race. Maybe yeah, no, it's about a different it, race. But it's, it's not about race. It's not about well, race. What is it about? Because you, it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. But it's about white supremacy. It's well, about but it's not, it's not about ideal race. But these are two Roma. white groups of people. Well, they have to black but people see them as white. And they, but you're missing the point. You're missing yeah. the point. The minute you turn it into race, it goes down this alley. Let's talk about it for what it is. It's how people treat each other. It's a problem. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, because black, white, Jews, uh, it's ha- everybody eats each other. So is it, if you're uncomfortable, if you hear about mouse, should you be worried? Should, should your child say, oh my God, I, I wonder if that's me. No, that's not what they're going to say. They're going to say, I don't want to be like that. Well, hopefully. I well, want to be cool. Yeah. And well, yeah most kids, and, most oh. kids, they, they don't want to be cool. No, they don't. And, and we're living in a, you know, we're living in an era where people are, are comparing vaccine cards to the yellow stars, where people are comparing mm-hmm. vaccinations to what Anne Frank yeah. went through. Yeah. So it is necessary for kids to learn about yeah, the whole about man's what? inhumanity to man, however it exposes itself. I have to cut you off. I just want to say that mouse was banned and it flew all to right, the top. All right, I get a headache from these, these buffoons. Let's, let's, let's try and figure this out. Why does Whoopi Goldberg keep saying this isn't about race? Is she utterly unfamiliar with Adolf Hitler's writings and statements? about Jews as the mongrel race, the rat race, as a separate race? Are not Jews treated this way 
by many Muslim countries, by terrorists, by even relatively new immigrants into our own country from some of these Arab and Muslim countries. We saw what happened not long ago when people were driving around with the Palestinian flag and chasing down Jews and hitting the diamond section and all the rest of it, or during the Black Lives Matter riots, swastikas on synagogues. This is just whites hating whites. Whites hating whites. Is that all it is? Why does she keep insisting on this? Any idea, Mr. Producer? Any idea, Mr. Colescreener? I have a lot of ideas on this. People hating people. That's all it is. People hating people. There's nothing different, you see, about the Holocaust from any other mass murder. Nothing different. Do you notice the critical race theory movement never talks about other minorities? Now, it's spreading to Latin crit and others who are embracing it and promoting it. Let me be more specific. Do you notice it never talks about Jews, Mr. Producer? It never talks about the racism against Jews. It never talks about the slavery of Jews. It never talks about the genocide of Jews that happened 70, 80 years ago. Not 150 years ago, I'm just pointing it out. Why is that? What is Whoopi Goldberg getting at here? See, this is the dumbing down of history, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is. The dumbing down of history. Then you hear Navarro in the background. An incredibly stupid human being. Nasty, stupid human being. They're comparing vaccine cards to the yellow stars where people are are comparing vaccinate. So she's over-talking. Goldberg, who's trying to make the part that there's nothing to distinguish what's been going on with the Jews for 5,000 years from anybody else. And Navarro's saying, oh, no, 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 but look, look at the Trump people and the, and the others uh, comparing uh, vaccinations to, uh, to Anne Frank and so forth and so on. The people who do the most comparisons to Hitler are on the left. And they do it without consequence. And on occasion, there should be comparisons. But they do it without consequence. They do it over and over and over again to President Trump. Or anyone they disagree with. So when Whoopi Goldberg, she doesn't explain herself, so we have to try and and, and discern. Says, let's not go down that route on this. This is about man's inhumanity to man. That's why when Omar said the things she said, 
There was not a resolution in the House to condemn her for what she said about Jews and her anti-Semitism. There was a watered-down resolution that basically talked about man's inhumanity to man. So she, in specific, wouldn't be condemned. Because of this growing anti-Semitic movement in the Democrat Party, I'm going to just tell you the truth, among recent immigrants to this country from the Middle East, and in places like Brooklyn, New York. Am I allowed to speak the truth, Mr. Producer? Am I speaking the truth? There's no question about it. And so I think Whoopi Goldberg needs to explain herself. I know she'll backpedal. She needs to explain herself. Everybody taking shots at Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan didn't do a damn thing. Taking shots at Aaron Rodgers, ESPN. God, if they didn't have an issue like that, what the hell would they talk about? Big deal. What about Whoopi Goldberg? What she said is disgusting. She needs to elaborate and explain herself. Now, she won't be criticized by the Anti-Defamation League because the Anti-Defamation League is now controlled by an Obama leftist. Leftists. They have embraced critical race theory in the, in the various movements. They've invited some of the authors of it to speak to their various conventions. In other words, they've ceased being what they were supposed to be. And it's been pointed out that the Anti-Defamation League once took the position, and I quote, that racism, quote, is the belief that a particular race is superior or inferior to another. That a person's social and moral traits are predetermined by his or her inborn biological characteristics. Racial separatism is the belief, most of the time based on racism, that different races should remain segregated and apart one from the other. I don't disagree with that. I think that's a pretty damn good definition. You want to know the truth. But it's pointed out by Jerry Dunleavy, the Anti-Defamation League changed its definition of racism sometime in July or August of 2020. To what? To this. Racism, colon, the marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. You see, the old definition couldn't work. It couldn't work. Because the ADL has apparently concluded, like the Democrat Party, for whom it effectively is associated, and the media and the rest, that racism isn't about treating individuals equally, regardless of their race or your race. Racism is about, as the critical race theory Marxists have been burping up the white dominant society oppressing everybody else that's the anti-defamation league fighting hate for good they're disgusting they're a disgrace they truly are they have no serious mission other than to push the left just like this show The View. 
The View. And you know what? Joy Behar, you barely said anything. You barely stood up. I expect the woman who was sitting to your left, Navarrado or whatever the hell her name is, to be as dumb as a doorknob. As you are too. But you made a very weak, passive, feckless response. None of the women did on there because they're scared of Whoopi Goldberg. She's the matriarch, effectively, if you will. But she needs to explain herself. The executives over there at The View need to explain themselves. Those who syndicate the show and run the show, they need to explain themselves too. What the hell exactly did Whoopi Goldberg mean? And if we get this line, she wants all people to live in peace. That's not what I'm talking about. What did she mean? She just rewrote everything Hitler said. And we need to teach history, says the other one. Well, then teach history. What did Hitler say? What did he say? Why was he so hell-bent on wiping out the Jews? Well, he also went after gypsies and gay people. We know that. But he didn't write extensively about gypsies and gay people. It was the Jews he was obsessed with. Why? Why downplay that? I'm serious, and you don't have to be Jewish to raise this question. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. I would ask Whoopi Goldberg... Was slavery about man's inhumanity to man? Well, of course. But what does that mean? Or was it about enslaving black people? Well, of course, that too. Was the Holocaust about man's inhumanity to man? Well, of course. But was it also about wiping out the Jews, as Hitler put it, as a race? Well, of course. I brought up critical race theory. 
Because critical race theory, as I discussed before the break, does not allow for these kinds of designations. Except, except when it comes to blacks or more and more Latinos and so forth and so on. Jews are left out. They just follow me. I'm not supporting this. I'm just saying what's going on. Jews are left out. And so there's very few critical race theory proponents or phony scholars or all the rest who would include them or even talk about them. Why? Because they're part of the dominant society. That's why. How much coverage has there been? How much discussion has there been on the view when a Hasidic Jew with a long black coat and the white shirt and the hats and so forth are beaten to a pulp in Brooklyn or the Bronx? Ever? Ever? I don't know. I don't watch The View, but I don't believe there has been. Do you, Mr. Producer? How much discussion is there on news programs about it? How much discussion is there on Sunday shows about it? And yet 60% of the hate crimes, according to the FBI, I got it, I know who they are, are against Jews. Well, who's doing that? Who is doing that? No discussion. In any respect, no discussion. So by using the language wrongly and redefining things and putting people into preferred groups and not preferred groups or non-existent groups, if you want to change history, you get the results you want. Somebody runs around and says, slavery in America was just about inhumanity. Man's inhumanity against inhumanity. You know that's bullcrap. And you also know that they would be destroyed. But if somebody says the Holocaust wasn't about race, despite the fact that Hitler said it over and over and wrote about it, and so did God knows how many, people are just perplexed. We'll watch The View tomorrow. And on we go. Well, I don't... I don't play that game. On I don't go. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. So why would... uh... Who was it, Mr. Producer? So why would Good Morning America have Angela Davis on as a guest? She ran for, I think it was president or vice president on the Communist Party line. She'd been a communist and a member of the Communist Party for decades. She eventually resigned after the fall of the Soviet Union. She was involved in extraordinarily controversial Uh, matter in which she uh, was found not guilty in California but her guns were used in a kidnapping situation in which a judge and others were killed 
And by the way, she studied uh, under uh, Marcuse. I've talked about Marcuse in my book, his uh, incredible, extraordinary role in this communist movement in our own country. Uh, But she studied under Marcuse um, at the uh, Frankfurt School. So of all the people to talk to, why would they bring her on to talk about judges? You see what I'm saying, folks? So I just went to Wikipedia, and I was looking at their back. They talk about her like she's a political... They hate me more than they despise her. Isn't that amazing? They have a whole long right. Levin said this. Levin did as they cherry-pick because they believe in the big lie. It's unbelievable. But here's Angela Davis on Good Morning America. I could never get on Good Morning America if I wanted to. I don't. Don't misunderstand, but you understand. I couldn't get on there if I wanted to. But there's Angela Davis. It's incredible. And she was asked. But wouldn't she be, like, really down with the revolution? With a black woman being chosen for the Supreme Court? I mean, come on, Angela, what do you think? Cut to, go. Well, I should say that, um, in general, uh, I am excited about this era in which the, uh, the, the, the work, the achievements, the contributions of black women are being lifted up. Because black women have always done the work, uh, but have rarely been acknowledged. <laughs> Having said this, I, I, I don't know um, uh, whether I would be so excited uh, about a um, conservative black woman. <laughs> I think it's, it's important to take politics into consideration. There is al- already a black person on the Supreme Court, and that, that person is the most uh, backward force on the court. So I want a, uh, I want a black woman, but I want a, a progress- progressive uh, All right, black so you woman. see, this, this is the deal. The media... And the Democrats, and Angela Davis and her ilk, they're not celebrating that Biden will nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court. They're celebrating that Biden will nominate the first left-wing black woman to the Supreme Court. It's that simple. It's that simple. And we know this to be the case. Because as they point out at Breitbart, our great friends over there, Paul Boys, Biden filibustered a black woman judge's nomination for two years, and I remember this. Biden blocked, among others, Janice Rogers Brown to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit because she was a constitutionalist. Bush had nominated her for the District of Columbia Circuit Court in 03. She had served as a justice on the California Supreme Court since 1996. So she didn't get confirmed until 2005 over his objections. Now why? Not just because he wanted to prevent her from being on the so-called second most important court in the country, the D.C. Circuit, that is the appellate court. He did not want her becoming the first black woman on the United States Supreme Court. 
as a possible replacement for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Now we got Sam Alito, so that was terrific. But she is terrific as well. That she is as well. And Obama didn't want her anywhere near the court. As they point out. As they point out in, uh, in Breitbart. So this isn't about the first black woman going on the Supreme Court. It's about the first left-wing black woman going on the Supreme Court, regardless of what Lindsey Graham says, and I'll deal with him in a moment. In other words, Angela Davis, God, please don't strike me down, is speaking the truth about what it is that they want. In fact, they'd rather have a Ruth Bader Ginsburg who was a very white woman, on the Supreme Court, then Janice Rogers Brown, uh, who who is a black woman. It has to be the right black woman. So this isn't, they celebrate this as the first black woman who may be, you know, nominated and, uh, and confirmed. But that's not accurate. It's the first radical or left wing or liberal, whatever you want to call it, Black woman. That is what they're celebrating. Did they celebrate Clarence Thomas? You just heard what she said about Clarence Thomas. You just heard what she said. But, again, don't strike me down. She speaks the truth about what they're thinking. The truth. But you're not allowed to say it. If you're not Angela Davis. Well, there, I just said it, Mr. Producer. Just incredible. How games are played. You have a legal analyst at MSNBC by the name of Melissa Murray. What does she think about nominating a black woman to the Supreme Court? Cut three, go. I don't know if it's necessarily affirmative action. I might think of it more in the vein of normalization, normalizing the idea that we should have a Supreme Court that reflects the diversity of this nation. Um, As Senator Graham noted, um, there haven't been any African-American women appointed to the bench. There have been... Well, in part because the Democrats blocked her. Now, I heard our friend Geraldo say on The Five, and he's not the first... But this is getting repeated out there. Well, you know, Ronald Reagan said he was going to appoint a woman, and by God, that's what he did. As justification for this. But what they don't tell you is conservatives objected. Conservatives objected. Conservatives did not think that that approach was appropriate. And in fact... They looked far and wide, and they came up with a state appeals court judge by the name of Sandra Day O'Connor on the recommendation of Barry Goldwater. And while she started off as a solid constitutional conservative, in the end, I don't want to speak rudely because I understand she's, she's uh, confronting very serious uh, health issues. Well, in the end, she wasn't as she was in the beginning. Let me put it that way. But there's Lindsey Graham, who, who has helped the Democrats put one radical judge after another on the courts. I'm sorry, Lindy, Lindsey, this isn't about what makes you feel good, or somebody coming out of South Carolina, or it's about time something goes on. I've spent my entire life 
fighting for the Constitution, fighting for people to go on the court who are constitutionalists. It was part of my responsibility for part of my time in the Reagan administration. And before and since, those of you who have listened to this show obviously know, this is crucially important. These are lifetime appointments. And it only takes five human beings on the court to make these decisions, whether something's a fundamental right or not. Five to four. Strange in many ways, isn't it? And this court is far more powerful than it should be. So here we are with Lindsey Graham. Cut four, go. Your colleague, Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi, said uh, picking a female black Supreme Court justice is affirmative racial discrimination. He questioned her any potential um, uh, impartiality from any of the candidates named. Um, Nikki Haley of South Carolina also tweeted the president should not have a race or gender litmus test. President Reagan promised to nominate a woman, Sandra Day O'Connor. So why is this different? I'll tell you why it's different before Graham speaks. Because you're not being honest. Biden is picking a leftist. That's the bottom line. Reagan was not picking a leftist. That's the bottom line. Neither of them should have used genitalia, and in this case also race, as a basis for it. Neither of them. The question, Margaret Brennan, is why are you asking a question like this? When you know this is a surface-level diversion. It's purely a diversion. But let's hear how Graham answers it. Go ahead. Well, it's not different to me. Um, uh, put me in the camp of making sure the court and other institutions look like America. So, no, no. Look like America. I don't even know what that means, look like America. We're a melting pot, or supposed to be, and he's playing right into the separatist argument. Look like America. Is there somebody on the court who's interracial? Is there somebody on the court who's Asian? Look like America? the hell does that mean? Folks, when you go in front of a court, do you say, I want my rights upheld, or I want a court that looks like America? And you've heard many people saying correctly, because they pull it out of a Supreme Court decision, when you're going in for heart surgery or cancer surgery or whatever it is, do you say, I want a, a, an operating room that looks like America? What if the greatest surgeon in the world is a black man? Do I go into the room and say, I want a white guy? No, I'd be out of my mind. I want that guy over there. The African-American gentleman. He's the best. And you know what else? That's not the way it works, really, ladies and gentlemen. How many times have you heard Lindsey Graham say, I want a Senate that looks like America? Does he ever say that? Of course not. No, and he never said that. You're talking about a lifetime appointment. I want a judge or justice who's going to follow the Constitution. That's what I want. That's why I supported Clarence Thomas. Who's really a classy human being. 
But it's also why his opponents tried to destroy him. They didn't want a Supreme Court that looks like America. They wanted a Supreme Court that rubber stamped their ideology. That's all they want. When they talk about expanding the court and packing the court, they don't say we want to pack the court because we want it to look like America. No, they say they don't like the rulings of the court, so they want to change the outcome. You notice Joe Biden, and it's understandable, isn't looking at a list of black jurists who aren't Democrats. He's looking at a very short list of black jurists who are ideological. Go ahead, please. Uh, We make a real effort as Republicans to recruit women and people of color to make the party look more like America. Affirmative action is picking somebody not as well qualified for past wrongs. Michelle uh, Childs is incredibly qualified. There's no affirmative action component if you pick her. She is highly qualified. And President Reagan said, running for office, that he wanted to put the first female Mm -hmm. on the court. Does anybody believe Ronald Reagan would support affirmative action on the court? Why do they keep quoting Reagan when I said even here Reagan was wrong? And most conservatives knew it and said so at the time. More when I return. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Graham was asked if he agrees with Donald Trump that protesters on January 6th should be pardoned. Um, And he says, no, not at all. Put, you know, put me in the camp of making sure the court and other institutions, well, that's that's a different one. He says, uh, if I run and if I win, we will treat people, said Trump, from January 6th fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they're being treated unfairly. Graham, no, I don't want to send any signal that it was okay to defile the Capitol. You know, this is uh, interesting. What she didn't say to Graham, of course, was, but that's exactly what Jimmy Carter did and Clinton did and even Obama. That's exactly what they did. And these people, the Weather Underground, they blew up the Capitol, blew up the Pentagon, blew up other places. That doesn't make it right, Mark, does it? No, it doesn't. But we're not talking about people who were violent inside the Capitol attacking cops. And again, if Lindsey Graham were careful about his answers, rather than playing to the audience, 
that is the crowd of that particular network, he would have said, well, it depends who they are and what they did. If they're trespassing and parading and Black Lives Matter is burning down towns, yeah, I think that needs to be looked at. But Lindsey, Lindsey doesn't have the guts to do that. He's all in. Man, oh, man. And the Judiciary Committee and the Senate side really hasn't done a damn thing or didn't do a damn thing when the Republicans were in control. You know, you don't just vote in November. You vote every single month with the money you spend and the companies you spend it with. You're still a customer of one of the large overpriced wireless carriers. You're also supporting the candidates and issues they donate to. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 Keeping with the theme here, you know, it truly is bizarre. It's, in fact, it's, it, it, it's frightening that you're not allowed to talk about the last election and the fraud that occurred. Now, immediately, immediately, the people who want to control debate shut down if I had said that and I was still on Twitter or Facebook would have done exactly that and I'm not talking about every allegation I'm not talking about every allegation but there are in fact obvious examples of fraud that took place I'm not even talking about the video and the rest that is coming out, making abundantly clear there was a lot of fraud. No, I'm, I'm talking about the legal fraud, which is even wrong. Uh, excuse me, even worse than ballot stuffing. Because that means the legal system, the judges, they tolerated it. It, it didn't give it a rubber stamp. And it's true. It's true. But you won't find that on the editorial pages of the Wall Street Journal. If you want to know what Paul Ryan's thinking or Mitch McConnell's thinking 
or even Liz Cheney, in many respects, is thinking. Read the Wall Street Journal editorial page when they're not talking about economics. They don't know much about the law, and they don't have many lawyers on the board there. They don't know much about activists. They don't really have many activists on the board there. They all pretty much sit on their asses and sit in a circle, and they're kind of circle nerds, if you know what I'm saying, which is fine. But they pontificate on things that they either don't know or they're intentionally lying about, and that's problematic. And over at the Federalist, William Doyle writes why the Wall Street Journal is wrong about the 2020 election. They've done a hell of a job over there, as have some other. He's Ph.D., principal researcher at Caesar Rodney Election Research Institute in Irving, Texas. Sounds like he's more qualified than any of the board members. Specializes in economic history and private funding of American elections. Previously was associate professor and chair in the Department of Economics, University of Dallas. Seems pretty smart. Wall Street Journal editorial appeared on Tuesday entitled, The Best Summary of the 2020 Election Rules Were Bent, GOP Voters Defected, and Real Fraud Hasn't Turned Up. This conveys the position of many establishment conservatives concerning the 2020 election. There were some slight problems with the election that were overshadowed by normal political phenomena, such as controversies about Trump and GOP voters switching sides. Well, the Wall Street Journal begins with the expected anti-Trump admonishment, quote, At his first big rally of 2022, President Trump was again focused on 2020. We had a rigged election, and the proof is all over the place, Trump said. But Mr. Trump was apparently too busy over Christmas to read a 136-page report by a conservative group in Wisconsin whose review shows no evidence of widespread voter fraud, quote-unquote. This is a long report uh, into allegations of literal vote fraud by the Wisconsin Institute of Law and Liberty, or will they call it, for which they find little corroboration. But there's another side of the argument regarding the legitimacy of the 2020 election that the Wall Street Journal has relentlessly ignored. The hypothesis is that a deeply corrupted corporate media, big tech censorship, legally questionable intervention by the courts, and infiltration of key election offices by lavishly funded Democratic activists, you know, they're talking about Zuckerberg there, resulted in, quote, heavy-handed election interference of a kind we have never seen before, unquote, that decisively rigged the 2020 election in favor of Joe Biden. This has been my point all along. All along. It's not so much the ballots at the end that are counted. It's what led up to that. The hypothesis that a deeply corrupted corp... Excuse me, you already said that. The Wall Street Journal editorial board would know if they had read... And he gives one, two, three, four, five, six, many, many reports and studies on the role of big tech money in Wisconsin's 2020 election... All of these studies present indisputable evidence of a rigged election in Wisconsin and in other key swing states where the highly partisan distribution of big center for tech and civic life money, a.k.a. Zuckerberg's $417 million, an obvious election intervention by the CTCL-funded election offices was more than sufficient to flip those states toward Biden. The Wall Street Journal then opines the stolen election theory doesn't hold up, according to the Will Report. 
President Biden won Wisconsin by 20,682 votes, and the mass fraud would likely have resulted in some discernible anomaly. But this is a perfect example of the red herring fallacy. The problem is not mass voter fraud, but a very discernible anomaly involving a highly coordinated and privately funded shadow campaign for Biden that took place within the formal structure of the election system. By injecting more than its $419 million of Mark Zuckerberg's money laundered through the CTCL and the Center for Election Innovation and Research, CEIR, the professional left presided over a targeted, historically unprecedented takeover of the government election offices, and, and uh, Molly Hemingway has written about this extensively, too, by demonstrably ideological activists and nonprofit organizations in key areas of these swing states. Nothing like this has happened in at least the last 150 years of American elections. But somehow, folks, the Wall Street Journal hasn't noticed. Because they're never Trumpers, that's why. Treating CTCL spending as if it were just another example of one campaign spending, outspending another, or the insidious role of dark money in the 2020 election, misses the point entirely. Big CTCL and CEIR money had nothing to do with traditional campaign financing, media buys, lobbying, or United-related campaign finance issues. It had to do with financing the infiltration of election offices at the city and county level by Democrat activists and using those offices as a platform to implement preferred administrative practices, voting methods, ballot harvesting efforts, and data sharing agreements, as well as to launch intensive multimedia outreach campaigns and surgically targeted door-to-door get-out-the-vote efforts in areas heavy with Democratic voters. And he's saying these private or nonprofit entities funded by Zucker undertook these efforts. Wisconsin and other swing states, big CTCL money introduced structural bias in favor of Biden into the entire 2020 election. And you know what's interesting? These people brag about it. So it's not like you're missing it. This involved favoring certain voters and voting practices over others and disfavoring other classes of voters and voting practices, giving CTCL's preferred voting methods, especially no ID absentee ballots and new American majority, quote-unquote, voters and voting methods, an outside effect on the final election results. CTCL targeted heavily Democratic jurisdictions for heavy spending and provided little or no funding to election offices in more Republican-leading cities and counties. So big tech through Facebook looked at their algorithms, said, how can we get out our vote and kind of tamp down the other vote if necessary? Perfectly fine, except for the fact they used tens of millions of dollars in targeted Democrat and particularly minority areas to get out the vote by effectively taking control of the government election offices, changing the electoral processes in violation of the federal constitution and doing all of this in the shadows. In Wisconsin and other swing states... Big CTCL money introduced structural bias in favor of Biden into the entire election. The Wall Street Journal then goes on to cite the, the group Will's deeply flawed estimate of CTCL's effects on Wisconsin election results in an earlier self-published study. The editors note, quote, a 
Nonprofit tied to Mark Zuckerberg gave $10 million to help Wisconsin elections, mostly in five cities, a skewed distribution that Will finds troubling, but a statistical analysis suggests it may have lifted Biden's turnout by 8,000. In other words, not enough to change the results. The fundamental problem with this quantitative analysis is that it is entirely based on the assumption that any anomalies so-called in Wisconsin were randomly distributed throughout the state. They therefore derive their estimates by treating every county in the state as if they were all equally affected by the spending. Well, we know a priori that any such anomalies were limited to a very small set of Wisconsin's counties, Democrat counties, and were the result of deliberate selection of election offices to be heavily funded by the data analysts who determined where big CTCL money would go. Wills, the group's estimate of the impact of CTCL activity on Wisconsin's vote total, is therefore based on an inappropriate methodology. Gives rise to the astonishing claim that in those cities that received CTCL funding, President Biden received approximately 41 more votes on average. But this is absurd on the face. When excess Biden votes over Hillary Clinton in 2016 in Brown data, Milwaukee counties alone were more than 83,000, only about 13,000 of which at most could be attributed to population growth or general statewide increase in voter turnout. Are we expected to believe that the effect of CTCL's almost $5 million spending on Biden's vote totals in Madison, Milwaukee was 41 votes on average, which amount to 82 votes in total? When between Madison and Milwaukee counties, Biden beat Trump by 364,372 votes? Obviously not. So what this group is saying is preposterous. But it was good enough for the Wall Street Journal, which continues to push the narrative. These two counties alone were responsible for more than 15 times Biden's margin of victory in Wisconsin, which means Trump won the vote in non CTCL-funded counties by well more than 300,000 votes. So without Zuckerberg's involvement in Wisconsin in 2020 through this group, Wisconsin will be a solidly red state. We estimate that CTCL's investment in seven Wisconsin counties resulted in 65,222 votes for Biden that would not have occurred in the absence of Zuckerberg's money, that is, taking over these, these offices. That's more than three times as big as the final 20,800 vote margin between Biden and Trump in 2002. That CTCL-funded election interference so obviously flipped Wisconsin for Biden in 2020 is not merely troubling, as Will alleges. It's outrageous. And by the way, we will have this article on my site, marklevinshow.com, for you to read in full or to reread. The merger of public election offices with partisan private funding. Does that bother the Wall Street Journal? Does that bother Paul Gigolo? Doesn't bother National Review. Ramona Charon, of course. Doesn't bother Barbara Comstock, the former congressperson. No. Scooter Libby, who was pardoned by Trump, doesn't bother any of them. Doesn't bother Chris, the Cape May Orca Christie. Doesn't bother Susan Collins. The merger of public election offices with partisan private funding, that doesn't bother them? It says, we witnessed in 2020 an unprecedented type of election interference that poses an acute threat 
to the perceived legitimacy of elections should be one of the primary focuses of election reform efforts moving forward. And it's not. Because the Democrats think there's no problem, and the Republicans think there's no problem. Wonder what Lindsey Graham has to say. Credible claims supported by growing mountains of evidence of a rigged election. And he's talking about the sense in which it's occurred here. Largely been ignored by the corporate media. No, not ignored, promoted. They promote the opposite. In fact, they silence people who talk about it. In favor of the occasional report that seeks to exonerate an election system that radically failed in November 2020. The 2020 election was not even remotely fair. And mainstream conservatives should not be afraid to say so. The Federalists ran this article, and they deserve a lot of credit for doing so. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Well, it's worse than I even thought. This is from our friends at uh, the Daily Caller. New York Democrats unveil new congressional map that is brutal for Republicans. Propose a new congressional map Sunday that could eliminate half of the state's Republicans in the House of Representatives. But they want fair voting. They want everybody to vote. Come on. Come on. They just want the vote to be counted. Republicans are Jim Crow. The new lines give Democrats an advantage in 22 of the state's 26 congressional districts ahead of November's midterm elections. Despite their advantage, the map may be less aggressive than what some Democrats, including lawyer Mark Elias, previously supported. Just remember that name, Mark Elias. That SOB. The map comes amid a battle for control of the House, with Democrats hoping to preserve their narrow advantage, while Republicans target over two dozen Democratic seats. While New York's map helps Democrats keep their majority, it could be offset by likely Republican advantage maps in Texas, Florida, and Georgia. Not so fast. DeSantis is having to effectively overrule the Republican legislature because many of them are like, you know, Lindsey Grant. We must be fair. Got to be fair about these things, you know. Dave Wasserman. A senior editor at the nonpartisan Cook Political Report said that New York's proposed map was such an effective gerrymander that it only wasted Democratic votes in a few isolated places. Even then, we're talking fractions of points. It's a brutal map for Republicans. Our guys just don't get it. And I don't know about you, but I felt relieved. I felt relieved when I saw uh, Karl Rove. I think it was on one of the Sunday shows. It's not mine. I don't really remember. It was on one of the Sunday shows. Because we all know Karl Rove is the architect. He was the architect of the 2006 Senate blowout by the Democrats. And the great victory by George W. Bush in 2000, uh, which was ultimately decided uh, via the Electoral College. Nonetheless, he's apparently on some committee that is helping to fight on the gerrymandering issue, Mr. Bedusa. That scares the crap out of me. The new map effectively eliminates Republican-leaning districts now held by Lee Zeldin, Nicole Meliotakis, 
Claudia Tenney. We love Claudia Tenney and Zeldin. It also shores up Democratic leading seats belonging to Antonio Delgado, Patrick Maloney, who chairs the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Uh, let's see. Uh, so it turns some of the Republican seats in what they call vote sinks, consolidating Republican voters in their own district. Remember how I explained this to you? That the Democrats used the 1965 Voting Rights Act to uh, destroy Republicans. Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Yes, yes, thank you very much. By the way, Mr. Producer, minor issue, but nonetheless, you see this fellow, Stephen Hayes, is now over at NBC. Now, I knew Steve when he was a uh, solid conservative, really good guy. But over time, he transitioned, in my view... Part of the uh, crowd obsessed over Donald Trump. They live in their own sort of little uh, circle fest where they reinforced one another. Mona Charon, among others. NBC News taps conservative political analyst Stephen Hayes as contributor. I think it's variety. You know, it's such a big story. Uh, so he leaves Fox, or they kicked him out, one or the other. He's taking up with NBC News in advance of the midterms. He's expected to appear regularly across all NBC News properties, including TV shows like Today, Meet the Depressed, and the streaming outlet NBC News Now's first appearance under his new contributor deal with the NBC Universal News Division is expected to take place this Sunday on Meet the Press. Now, with no malice intended. He's monotonous on television, isn't he, Mr. Producer? monotonous and predictable but because he's one of these sort of conservative or one of these individuals who's basically rejected conservatism he would claim he hasn't I don't care what he claims they embrace him and promote him it's like this Nicole Wallace big time on MSLSD even though she is a half wit if not a full nitwit So now Hayes, because he was a drama queen with respect to leaving Fox and as the most intense, among others, hate on for Trump, he is now going to be all over NBC. Won't that be cool? Chuck Todd said, I've known and worked with Steve Hayes on and off for nearly 25 years. He's a principled reporter and analyst who always puts truth and facts above emotion and sentiment. But you don't, Chuck. You don't do that, said the Meet the Depressed moderate. You know what's depressing? I used to love watching Meet the Depressed. The McLaughlin Group, these Sunday shows were really terrific. Then they bring in these, 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 these fifth-tier nobodies. It's like when I was in college and these liberal jerks are sitting there. Their clothes smell like they're drenched with... Uh, with the aroma of marijuana? Not that they all did that, of course. But really, just so predictable. So, so, so superficial and surface. 
And then they hire these people to do TV shows. He's the moderator at Meet the Brave. He's no moderator. He's a loudmouth lefty. Hayes is the author of this, that he's close to the Cheneys, of course. Uh, he got his master's degree. Studied public policy at Georgetown. Master's degree from Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. Well, that kind of explains that, I suppose. That explains that, I suppose. No, he'll be, he'll be just great over there. Maybe he'll be joined by other never-Trumpers. They bring out this George Connolly. Remember him? Remember this guy? George Connolly. They bring him out to comment on one of the cable channels about Trump. This way, these are news items. They bring him out. You know, they dust these guys off. They bring him back. Connolly's good for a few laughs. Drag his fat back. But make sure you put enough donuts in the green room. It's a big boy if you get my drift. They bring him in. What's next? What's next? Jonah? I hope not, but you never know. We got to stop Trump at all. And there's the uh, Wall Street Journal editorial page with uh, Paul Gigolo. Oh, the election. So the people who push the Russia collusion narrative break God knows how many federal law and all the rest of it. How can you possibly imagine them cheating and committing fraud? What the hell is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Accept the fate like a man. Excuse me, we don't use those terms anymore. Oh! 50% support Biden's impeachment. I'm going to keep pushing for this, leading this, as long as I have to. Rasmussen. Writing about Rasputin. Half of voters believe... Biden should be impeached. Nearly as many think Republicans will do it if they win a congressional majority in the midterm elections. A new national telephone and online survey by Rasmussen reports the National Pulse finds that 50% of likely U.S. voters support the impeachment of Biden, including 33% who strongly support it. 45% are opposed to impeaching Biden, including 33% who strongly oppose it. Screw them. Who cares? What's going on on the southern border in and of itself, is enough to remove this man. He will not enforce federal law. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. He doesn't have a choice. It's his job. And I'm not kidding. He doesn't have a choice. It's his job. And I'm not kidding. And we will see. We're going to hold the Republicans' feet to the fire. That's what we're going to do. We're going to hold their feet to the fire unless they act on this. There's no other way to secure that border, ladies and gentlemen. No other way than to hold their feet to the fire. Joe Rogan puts out an Instagram video yesterday. I'm the only human being who's not on Instagram, Mr. Producer. I don't know anything about Instagram. I know how to get on it. I don't want to know how to get on it. I seem to be doing fine with that. And then people get on these sites, these platforms, and then they, they bellyache when they're banned. I'm telling you, you're going to be banned if you're a conservative with half a brain, particularly in the public eye, and you make thoughtful, reasonable, logical argument, you're going to be banned or you're going to be punished. That's why I left before they could even do anything. I don't need them. You don't need them. None of us need them. 
But anyway, Joe Rogan, in an Instagram video yesterday, the guy's under attack because he dares to have conversation with people who may not agree with Big Brother. I don't know Joe Rogan. I don't need to know Joe Rogan. I watch the UFC fights. I love them. And there's Joe Rogan who does a hell of a job. So does Daniel Cormier. So does, oh, I forget the British guy's name, and I know it. He's a great guy, too. That's how I know these guys. There's another guy, the, uh, the straight man. He's good, too. That's how I know him. That's it. Joe Rogan, here he is in an Instagram video yesterday. Cut 12, go. The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Like, for instance, eight months ago, if you said, if you get vaccinated, you can still catch COVID and you can still spread COVID, you would be removed from social media. They would, they would ban you from certain platforms. Now, that's accepted as fact. If you said... I don't think cloth masks work. You would be banned from social media. Now, that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you'd be banned from many social media platforms. Now, that's on the cover of Newsweek. All of those theories that at one point in time were banned were openly discussed by those two men that I had on my podcast that have been accused of dangerous misinformation. I do not know if they're right. I don't know because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a person who sits down and talks to people and has conversations with them. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely. I get things wrong, but I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. And I'm interested in having interesting conversations with people that have differing opinions. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not allowed to. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? You're not allowed to. And not only that, you're too big. You must fail. You don't conform. So you got to be brought down, bro. Don't you get it? Doesn't matter. You want interesting people. You need to follow the the, uh, Pied Piper. Follow the leader. If you don't follow what Fauci says, even though, you know, you'll get dizzy and uh, motion sickness. He's bouncing all over the place. This could become problematic. And this is what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. If they can ban a former president of the United States from social media, they can ban anybody. And what happens is it's like whispered down the lane. All the creepy knucklehead leftists. It's whispered down the lane. All right, today it's Rogan. Rogan, Rogan. Yesterday it was Aaron Rodgers. And this Bill Maher is going to get hit. He's going to get whacked too. They just will. You must comply. You must comply. And you know, people say, what do you mean American Marxism, folks? Where do you think this whole ideology comes from? It's not American. Americans are rowdy. Americans want to debate. Americans yell at each other. Americans, they'll fight in sports stadiums over their favorite teams. That's who Americans are. Red-blooded. No, 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 no. No, no, no. That's, that, we can't. That's not right. You must not do that, unless, of course, you're rioting, burning buildings, and so forth uh, against the white dominant society. Otherwise, we don't want to hear from you. 
We don't want to hear from you. Who was the other guy they tried to take out? Chappelle, right? Dave Chappelle on the, uh, on the obvious thing about genitalia, right? Yeah, wait a minute. You have that, and you have that. So you're a this, and you're a that. No, I don't want to be a this. I want to be a that. I know, but you're a this no matter what you do with that. No, 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 no. I'm a that no matter what I do with this. Wait a minute. It's binary. No, it's not binary. It's multinary. What? Oh, yes. So the whole world is screwed up, has to follow this. And there was a report last night, I meant to raise it with you. Legal experts are now saying the next step is multi-parent families. In other words, more than two. Did you read that, Mr. Producer? I sent that your way. Mommy, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, daddy, mommy. So rather than, you know, two people having seven kids, one person could have seven parents. Hey, who am I to judge in this white dominant society? Who am I to judge? Who am I to impose my will? As the great Bob Grant used to say, it's sick and getting sicker out there. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Found the article in Just the News, John Solomon's great piece. Law professors, most states may recognize multi-parent families in the near future. Rise of LGBTQ families, reproduction technologies driving a law shift, professors claim. Two law professors this week argued the U.S. is on the verge of seeing most states recognize multi-parent families, a novel familial arrangement that the instructors nevertheless claimed was hardly new. There you go. Nothing new, nothing wrong. What's wrong with you? Well, if you read American Marxism by now, you would see there's an entire discussion about this. The attack on the nuclear family. Marx wanted to break down the nuclear family, so why wouldn't his progeny want to do exactly the same thing? And that is exactly what they're doing. Break down the family, break down faith, break down tradition, break down the school system, propaganda replacing knowledge, on and on and on. It's not conspiracy theory. These people, I quote them. This is why there's so many quotes in the book. I quote what they're saying. It's not me drawing these conclusions. It's them advocating these positions. It's American Marxism is really something that's been on the top 100 on Amazon. It just kind of hangs there. It's because you folks, you folks, I've concluded it's the best book I've ever written. I concluded it when I finished it, that it's the best book I've ever written. Certainly important. I don't know why this crosses my mind now. Some people wonder, why is it Levin and not Levin? Why is it tomato and not tomato? No, the truth is, in Philadelphia, at least where I grew up, L-E-V-I-N is pronounced Levin. Much of the rest of the country, it's pronounced Levin. My dad used to say when he was in the, mil- in the Army, and he was at a base in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, 
which was a little different back then for a Jewish guy from Philadelphia than it is today, by the way. It's a beautiful place. When they would call him out, they would say, uh, you know, the sergeant, Levin! And now and then, for fun, he'd say 12. But he learned quickly uh, they weren't laughing that much. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Thank you for everything you do. You great patriots, each and every one of you, thank you for listening. Guess what? We'll be right here tomorrow. Stick with us. And have a good evening.